Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. And welcome to another episode of the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Bayer. I'm your host, Dr. Bayer Pierre, your favorite board certified attorneys, founder of drbayerpierre.com, as well as CEO of Pierre Medical Consulting, which helps you empower yourself for better health. This week with the number one podcast for patient advocacy, we bring you Dr. Jason Hammond, who's an orthopedic surgeon who actually very excited for you guys to get a chance to listen to because he is not just a surgeon, which I like to think about it. He has his own patented product, which we will talk about on the episode today. He has a line of products that's also sold on Amazon through his own personal company, Air Support. And he has an illustrated book, the good book on stem cells for joint pain, which was written to really simply explain alternatives of joint replacement surgery in a fun and very creative way. He's married and he does have three beautiful children, which are actually triplets, right? Which is, which I thought I was having sleepless nights because I had twins, but he has triplets, right? So bang for your buck on that. With Dr. Hammond this week, we're going to be talking about the importance of bone health. I'm going to be, you know, kind of getting into his business, trying to find out like why he went into orthopedic surgery. And really with most importantly, especially for your lunch community members, what are some of the best surgical as well as non-surgical ways to deal with chronic pain, especially in the knee, especially in the shoulder. Contrary to popular belief, he actually favors the non-surgical approach to a lot of different things. And I, I think that sometimes gets taken aback and uh, gets lost when we talk about surgeons because we always feel like all we want to do is do surgery. And But he's a big champion of making sure we could try to do everything as conservative as possible to avoid surgery and make surgery the last possible option if needed. So definitely we're in for a treat this week. And if you have not had a chance, remember to subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, screenshot the podcast on IG. However you like to listen to podcasts, you can tweet me always. If you mention me, I would definitely make sure I like and retweet. I'm always looking out for that aspect of it, whether you're using a hashtag or whether you're just, you know, you, you throw the mention on me, especially if you're on Twitter, I'm at lunchlearnpod.com for the, the podcast front. So uh, you guys have a great and blessed day and get ready for another amazing episode here on The Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. This episode is brought to you by the Lunch and Learn Community Store, where we are living out the motto, empower yourself for better health. In the Lunch and Learn Community Store, you can get your favorite t-shirts, ebooks, as well as other related products by Dr. Barry. Head over to shop.drpiersblog.com and get a chance to get 10% off your first purchase by using the coupon code EMPOWER10. Again, shop.drpiersblog.com. Live out the motto, empower yourself for better health. In our English learning community, you heard this amazing introduction from uh, someone who I've actually been kind of following, ghost following for a little bit, who's been giving us an inside look on what it takes to, you know, be an orthopedic surgeon. And he was someone who I wanted to kind of have come on the show and just kind of educate us and really get a little bit of background story on all this amazing stuff that he does. Because, you know, obviously here in the learning community, you know, we have people who are physicians, but people who are more than just physician, right? That's, I think that's always the big thing for us. Yes, you could be a doctor, but you could do a lot more things just within that field. And Dr. Hammond, first of all, thank you for coming on Lunch and Learn to discuss your, your greatness. This week. <laughs> it is a pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. So Dr. Hammond, if we, we went through your bio and, you know, if, if someone, you know, happened, 
didn't happen to read your bio or happened for some reason to skip right to this main story, right? What could you tell them about yourself uh, that they probably wouldn't be able to pick up? So uh, a little bit of background. I was born in Baltimore and was actually born at Johns Hopkins. And, you know, it's funny, I made my way back there for medical school and residency some, you know, 18, uh, 20 years, actually 22 years later. I grew up in Virginia. I went to high school down in Hampton area, Hampton, Virginia. I learned how to play the trombone. So that's one little thing about me. I still play the trombone and I uh, have a lot of fun uh, doing that. Went down to Morehouse in uh, Atlanta for four years which was a an awesome time. I was down there to 93 and 97, just a lot of fun, and then came up to Baltimore where I went to med school. And that's where I met my wife. She actually went to University of Maryland's med school. And so we met, and I've, so I've been in the Baltimore area since 2007. I have three kids, I have uh, triplets actually, uh, three 14-year-olds who just graduated eighth grade. So they're going to be Oh, starting, wow, that's nice. Yeah, they're going to be starting awesome. high school soon. So it's going to be a whirlwind for the next four years. <laughs> Years, so. It's so funny because I have twins. I have a, a boy and a girl. I'm like, oh, okay. Fantastic. <laughs> How old are your twins? They're six. No, my wife would kill me. They're three going on four. My oldest is six. <laughs> okay. They probably seem like they're six right now, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> it, it's so funny. I, you know, just a side note, I remember when my wife first sent me the ultrasound, right? She sent me the ultrasound and it was like A and B. And I'm like, I'm like what is this? It's like, uh, you're having twins, dummy. Like, that's what that. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it was. But I, I was kind of, I was a little in denial myself when I found out we were having triplets. So I used to call them the baby for a long time until my wife was like, "Look, you're having three kids, so just yeah. get used to that." Get used to get used to the numbers. Ah, yeah, I love it. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, then I went to, um, I, you know, finished my residency and then I started practice with MedStar in the Baltimore area. And I've been in practice since 2007. So, so tell us, right, because this is a, a question I always get from Legendary Community members. Like, what 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 made you go into like orthopedics and sport? Like, what made you go into that specific field? Yeah, so I knew I wanted to be a physician ever since I was nine years old. I used to collect stickers. That's what we did back in the day. And one of the stickers that I collected was described my name. And it never really knew or paid attention to what it meant. And uh, Jason actually means one who heals. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's something oh, I nice. <laughs> yeah. okay. And then after that, I really... I've always had a leaning towards the sciences and math and more so than the arts and, you know, history and English. But it turns out, you know, I became a musician, so I did like, like that aspect. But I knew I kind of wanted to go into a science field. And when I was in high school, I was in a, a track meet, indoor track meet, and I was uh, doing a high jump and I was uh, went in to jump over the bar and I was a little too far towards the end and my back and head landed on the mat and my foot went over and hit the ground Ooh. and I broke a bone in my foot and so that was and then I was introduced to an orthopedic surgeon at that time and I was placed into a cast for three weeks and initially it was great because the uh, I got a lot of love from the from the ladies you know they always wanted to take care of me, <laughs> open my bag and open the door for me uh, but after about three weeks or so that love went away because the cast started to stink and they, they <laughs> do it. but I was out of the cast and my leg had shrunk to half the size of my other leg but it was it was, it was a very interesting experience you didn't realize I didn't realize how much I took my limbs for granted and not being able to walk and just be able to get up and grab a sandwich or get up and turn on the TV it's an ordeal when you don't have a leg oh yes so I wanted to so I really it really pricked me and I, was, I thought okay this is something I would like to go 
at least that I'm interested in. And the fact that I was able to heal so quickly and get back to what I wanted to do, even though I had to rebuild strength and everything, that was intriguing to me as well. So, you know, when I went into medical school and actually had a chance to start seeing surgeries and then getting an idea of what I liked, I then decided, okay, I like to be able to work on my hands. I want to do surgery. I like to be able to build things and use hammers and saws and screwdrivers and all that stuff. And, you know, it was between ophthalmology and orthopedics. And I really, you don't really use screws and nails in the eye. So it was, <laughs> so I think, all right, let me go into ortho and have a chance to be able to do something like that. And I like, you know, the engineering aspect of, of orthopedics. I like the optics and the physics of uh, ophthalmology as well, but yeah, I think that uh, orthopedics is more kind of my speed. Okay, and you know, you know, it's, it's very interesting, especially as an internist, and we hear a lot of you know, especially the surgical residency with you know orthopedics, obviously is as you know, we hear it's usually all about the surgery, surgery, surgery. But it's very interesting to hear you speak at it from, especially from the scientific aspect of function and uh, functionality, and you know, getting people to move, and you know, and even at the point where you kind of take for granted the ability that we sometimes we do all the time right just being able to walk up and go somewhere yeah exactly it is you know the use of your hands and shoulders being able to reach and uh, and grab things it is really something that you really don't think about and it's a good thing you don't have to think about it because it means you're not in pain or you're not injured but once you are starting to think about those things or just being able to or turning your head to look in a certain direction if you have neck pain those things can be quite a nuisance and affect your quality of life in significant ways and you know I want to help be able to help people better their lives in that respect I love it and even especially kind of kind of picking back it on that when, when we talk about some of the, the people that you kind of encounter right patient wise like what are some of the typical reasons someone may come to see you yeah so i am a sports medicine doctor i and i specifically so i treat a lot of athletes i specifically treat shoulder and knee problems most a lot of athletes have uh, injuries to the shoulder and knee, and that's what we focus on in, in our fellowship after residency, been a year focusing on that type of thing. So when I have an athlete with a knee injury, we want to make sure that they don't have any damage to the cartilage tissues, to the ligaments such as the ACL, which you may have heard about. Uh-huh or the ligament injuries. And for the shoulder, you know, you can have problems with the rotator cuff muscles or some of the other ligaments in the shoulder that help keep the shoulder in place because we see athletes with shoulder dislocations or people who may not have a full dislocation, but the shoulder kind of slips a little too far and that can cause chronic problems. And so those are the kind of issues that we see in a lot of athletes. And, you know, we get fractures and, you know, the broken bones and the other ankle sprains and the common things as well. And my other subset of patients, I see an older subset of patients who have arthritis. And I do a lot of knee replacements in, uh, in treating knee arthritis from that standpoint. And I saw a lot of stuff in between, you know, a lot of conservative treatments uh, as well. And, and I definitely want to touch on that, especially later on, because I, I think a lot of times in sometimes, you know, I would have to educate my patients like, hey, just because I'm sending you to the surgeon doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have surgery, but, you know, their expert opinion is needed. Like, And I, I think that's something that kind of gets glossed over when we talk about the surgical specialties. I think a lot of times people only think you guys, you know, know just to do surgery and that's it. And I think sometimes uh, you get, they're taken aback, right? When they're like, no, 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 no surgery, but let's let's try some other things first. 
Yeah, and it's, uh, it's very interesting. I had a patient actually just yesterday who is a uh, semi-professional football player, and he has an injury to his PCL, which is one of the ligaments in the knee. And it is a ligament that is not really talked about much because it is not necessary. If you injure it, it's not that you don't necessarily have to fix it to be able to play your sport, such as the ACL. Mm. And uh, apparently he was told or thought that he needed to have it fixed. And so when he came to my office, he would expect me to talk about, you know, how we're going he wanted to be able to pre- play you know further professionally and we he wanted to talk about you know getting it fixed and so he can get on with his career and and he was actually pleasantly surprised and I was like oh no you've been able to play for many years and you haven't had any issues there's no reason for me to fix that I can make you worse you know I can I can't you're already playing very well so I can't you know if I go in there and do surgery you can have complications you can have stiffness you can have other issues and then the weakness from having to you know be off for so long and then have to gradually build up your strength so you know we don't, if we don't have to fix anything, if it's not broke, really, don't fix it. And I'm not, so I'm not treating the specific injury. I'm treating the, or the x-ray or the MRI scan. I'm actually treating the patient. And Ooh, I, I, love, I love that. Yeah. The patient treating, is functional. Treating. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And treating so, the patient. I love it. That's, yeah. uh, that's just, that's just, and, and unfortunately, especially in medicine, where sometimes we, we kind of get away from that. Right. Um, I'm, I'm a program director. So I, you know, I take care, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of some residents mm-hmm. and a lot of times, you know, they fall into that same issue where they're treating lab results, they're treating right. this. And then I ask, well, how's the patient feeling? And it's like a blank, blank stare on the face because right. for some reason, like, that's like the last thing that's like looked upon. Like, oh, well, the patient really isn't complaining of anything. Like, oh, well, then what are we doing? <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of what we hear from patients are they want to prevent problems in the future or is there anything mm-hmm. that we need to do now so that I don't have an issue? And, you know, it's hard to treat the future as well. There are things that we can do to prevent disease, you know, uh, weight loss, exercise, strengthening, things like that. You know, and there are some surgical procedures that may be helpful to prevent disease, but if you're completely fine, you're not having any issues, then there's better be a, a good, very good reason for us to prophylactically do something. And we, we may do that more in pediatrics, but, you know, for the most part, that's the exception and not the rule. Now, is your is your span of uh, treatment, because I'm an internist, so I take care of you. If you're 18 and up, I got you, but you talk about you're 17 and I, I, start, I start getting nervous and I started getting weary, weary. Like in your field, are you treating from peds to adults? Is there a range space when we talk about orthopedic surgeon? Do you have like the whole gamut? So, you know, orthopedics, uh, we do have specialties and within that, within the subspecialties, within the specialty of orthopedics. And so there's a subspecialty for pediatric orthopedics. Pediatric orthopedics, there's lots of orthopedic problems that kids have, such as, you know, scoliosis or mm-hmm. club foot or different things that you, you know, you may not think about for for kids and that's and that is a specific especially for that now a lot of kids play sports and so we do we are trained to treat them the uh, in sports injuries that kids have as well so you know usually kids start in, if they injure themselves if, if they're under 10 it's pretty minor things or if they have a broken bonus you know something we can set and that's pretty something and that's something simple that they'll you know that they'll heal from and, and do very well so most kids unless it's a really displaced broken bone and it's a sports injury really don't need surgery. We can kind of treat it without surgery. And so, you know, we're usually, if we're thinking about surgery, it's something that they're usually in their teens or, you know, early adolescence. Uh, and so we do treat uh, younger adults and, athlete and, and athletes that are young. But for the most part, it's uh, they go to pediatrics, orthopedics, 
is especially for specifically for children with bone problems. And I, I know you said your your focus, especially from a sports standpoint, is the shoulder and the knees. Is there any? Do you have any common surgeries that you like to perform? Any ones that you do like day in day out? Like, is there something that you're like, oh yeah, that's the thing I do? <laughs> yeah. All day. So you know, any for the most part, most procedures of the knee I do from the from the gamut of the most common procedure is kind of trimming up a piece of the meniscus or a piece of cartilage that's torn in the knee, what's called a knee scope. And that's a knee arthroscopy where we go in there with a camera through little two little small poke holes and look around the knee. And so, you know, orthopedics has advanced significantly over the course of the last 20 years where we are doing more minimally invasive surgery where we can just go through and look at an, uh, an item in the in a joint through small little poke holes. And so I do a lot of that. And so ACL reconstructions, you know, the ligament, the main ligament in the knee that's injured, I see a lot of that. So it's a surgery I love to do because you can get high-level athletes who aren't able to perform, you can get them back to perform at an extremely high level. And in just about, you know, within a year or so, they really can get back into doing a lot of what they want to do. Same with shoulder problems. I do minimally invasive shoulder arthroscopy or shoulder scopes with rotator cuff tears and other problems with ligaments that are torn, such as the labrum, which is torn when your shoulder dislocates or your shoulder slips out of socket. And then we do a lot of knee replacements as well for older individuals. And so those are very good procedures because within six to 12 weeks, patient who was really not able to get around for a significant amount of pain are able to be very functional and uh, keep up with everybody else by three months. And they're really doing really well. So I like knee replacements for that reason as well. Right. So, and let's talk because of course, you know, that I, I have that contingent of, you know, lunch and learn members who, who don't want to do no surgery, right? So they always want to know, what are like the non-surgical things that you can help me with to try to, to try to get that function and that quality of life back as much as possible? Yeah. So the, the tendency to treating, you know, most orthopedic problems non-operatively is by decreasing inflammation and strengthening. And we decrease inflammation with first modifying your activities. If there's something that is causing you to have a have pain or have a problem, you got to either cut back on that or stop that activity or alter or do it a different way. And that's something that most people don't really think about. Like for instance, I, I was, I'm taking a boxing class and with my son and he, did, he went through the, for the first time yesterday. And I've been in doing it for about six weeks now and hitting the bag over over the course of, you know, even one class over an hour, you can develop some wrist pain and, and just have some, it just kind of really hurts. And he was trying to, after I saw him kind of wrapping his straps tighter in the class and afterwards yeah, he said he told me my dad my my hands and my wrists were hurting after the class and I was like well you were just punching the bag too hard and you know just kind of back off on that and then it'll it'll start to feel better and soon you'll be able to start getting better and be able to you know hit the bag harder and do more but you got to start slow and then gradually build up and so most people when they first start to do something they're overzealous and doing it too quickly or too too much weight they're moving or or pressing or doing and just doing too much and so you know gradually begin your activities but if you're already in pain then you want to cut back the other things that we can do are decreasing the inflammation with anti-inflammatory medicines the most common medicines that we use are ibuprofen and and, and naproxen which is also Aleve and so those anti-inflammatory medicines are really helpful because they work at the source of decreasing the inflammation where the where the problem is. Tylenol is also helpful, but that's more of a pain pill that kind of works in the brain that, you know, the uh, blunt, the pain sensing in the, in the brain. 
So, but it still can be very helpful, especially for those who may have stomach problems and or get stomach upset from anti-inflammatory medicine. So those are the, the most common things. And then we can start thinking about strengthening. Physical therapy is very helpful. A lot of people poo-poo therapy because they feel like, I go to work, I do a lot of walking mm-hmm. around. Okay. <laughs> I get enough therapy on my own. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but they're not doing specific things to, to strengthen the specific muscle group that would help them. You know, I was a victim of this as well. Uh, I was having some uh, some back issues at the at my the joint that I connect my back to the my pelvis bone, my SI joint. And you know, the therapist in my office was telling me, "Look, you just got to do some core strengthening, strengthen your, your abdominal muscles and your back muscles, and you'll get better." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm running a lot and doing all this stuff, and I, it really it wasn't helping." As soon as I started doing my core exercises, <laughs> it started. You know, this was years, and as soon as right. I started doing my core exercises, it, it went away. So I'm a victim of that. But there's a specific treatment for and therapists are really helpful for many, many, many problems. You know, then after that, we got with the different types of injections. The most common injection that we use for uh, knee arthritis or any type of arthritis or inflammation is cortisone. It's a steroid medicine that decreases the inflammation. And that can be extremely helpful for patients with many different problems. And there's certain places that we can do injections of cortisone and there's certain places that we are not able to do injections as well. You know, it's interesting. I remember as a medical student, we, I went to my first mission trip mm-hmm. and we, we had multiple disciplines there. So it was medical, dental, pharmacy, OT, PT, and all these. And it was like the first time that I was able to kind of realize like, oh, wow, like the therapy folks like actually be putting in some work because I just never, because I never, you know, obviously I never interacted with them. So I never knew how much work they actually did. And, and of course, now as a hospitalist physician, I know, you know, they're extremely important. Yes. Uh, and one, getting my patients out the hospital. Right? Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And I t- especially because I take care of a lot of the post-operative patients from orthopedic standpoint. And, you know, what, one of the first things they're doing is they're consulting internal medicine, but they're not consulting physical therapy, occupational therapy, right? Like it's like, we got to get the ball rolling a- as early as possible, which is always an interesting thing too. Like, especially from a hospital standpoint, like how you guys can like replace a knee, replace a hip. And folks are like up and walking in like that day. Like it's not even like, like a food for like literally that day, people are already like, oh yeah, I got to walk. I had to go to the bathroom. I had to do that. Like, oh my God. Yeah, sure. Yeah, things have changed from that standpoint significantly. We, uh, when I was uh, first doing in my training back in the early 2000s, patients would routinely stay in the hospital for three days for knee replacements at the minimum, sometimes mm-hmm. five days. And now we're doing outpatient uh, knee replacements where you go home the same day. And so, wow. you know, it's not the majority of them, but a lot of patients patients are going home the same day. And but if not, they're just staying overnight. So. It's, yep. And therapy is really important for that. So, so especially when we talk about things that change, I kind of alluded in the beginning. One of the things that I like like about you is the fact that you, you document, like I know you talked about the arthroscopy and uh, the ligament of tear. Like I've seen you do videos on that, right? Yeah. Uh, so I want to start there, right? Like what, what what made you like say, you know what? I want to start documenting the, the amazing stuff I do because I think most people are like usually taken aback like, oh my God, that, that's what a knee, and that's what it looks like inside of a knee. Like it's, again, I'm, in the field and I still get interested seeing that type of stuff. Yeah. So it, it was, a, it's very interesting. It's something that, there was a lot of things that kind of came together for me to really start doing that. One is, you know, I knew, you know, we guess we'll talk later, but I, there it was some, I had an entrepreneurial side and there's some things that I really wanted to be able to do, but I also needed to be comfortable with social media and mm-hmm. uh, be comfortable with either talking uh, on, a, on a platform or, you know, educating or just in general they'd be comfortable having people you know follow me and uh, <laughs> 
Facebook and Instagram and, you know, it opened myself up to all the stuff that comes with it. Right. So, uh-huh. so I had to kind of get over that. And cause for many years, I didn't even have a Facebook account, but I knew that if you're going to, you know, do, from, do things from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you should probably learn social media because that's the way oh, yeah. things are going now. I had to do that. So then I had to figure out, okay, what am I going to do that good at that might be an easy transition into, into this field. And so I, I decided that I think I'm going to, you know, give people a peek into my world and what I like to do. And uh, so as I started to, you know, I started off with just kind of talking about some of the things that I like started talking about things that we've been talking about as well with how to treat things operatively non-operatively but I you know I felt in some of the people some of the comments I got were is there something that we can be able to see is that I thought that would be really interesting and, and, and I thought about it I would have loved when I was going and learning and wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon I would have loved to be able to see okay what is it that you actually do because we didn't I didn't get any of that until my <laughs> third year of medical school right so and now I have students from med- from my middle school to high school and college everybody people who are interested in medicine not necessarily orthopedics but at least they get a chance to see kind of what this is and you know decide oh it's nothing that I want to do at all <laughs> or this right. is pretty cool I might be interesting. Uh, uh, you know, so that from that standpoint, that's the reason why I really started doing that. And my patients have uh, been very supportive. They, they like to be able to, first of all, when I ask the patient if they w- would mind you know, me videoing them, it's in that we consent for that in our surgical procedures. And also, you know, it's all, it's all HIPAA compliant. I don't, I don't, it's all confidential and everything else. So you don't oh, yeah. We 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 know, we, know, we yeah. I've, I've talked about the hippo monster before. We, yes. we definitely don't want to step on the hippo monster's toes. That's for uh, sure. So anytime we see, I always have. I always tell people on my on my uh, timelines as well. Like, hey, if y'all see me post or talk about a patient or do this, please leave. I've asked that patient multiple times, and yes. I have it written down. Uh, I might have. I even might have it videotaped that yes, I have permission to talk about this. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And so it is. You know, that's definitely important. And I found that most patients actually love it. They love, you know, to be able to help others. They don't mind being able to share. You know, I haven't had, I haven't really interviewed any patients about their problem. What I've done is when I'm in the office, you know, I'll be the one that's talking and I'll have them move their leg or do something, you know, it's just, but they really like the fact that, okay, I'm educating others because, uh-huh. you know, this is something that they, they had to learn about the hard way. You know, oh, they yeah. had to actually get injured to learn about this and they probably w- would be fine not knowing about it because they don't want to be injured in the first place. But definitely. You know, I've had a lot of patients who have actually gone on my page because they've had the same problem. And I was like, look, I've posted about this if you want to see it. Mm-hmm. Now, most patients don't want to see a surgery before they have the surgery. They'll wait until after the surgery. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't want that anxiety. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, I really have gotten a lot of good feedback from, uh, from patients. I love it. And, and, and it's so funny because even even on, on our, even on this podcast here, like I have patients all the time who want to come and talk about their story. And I'm like, oh. Like, and I've, I've had one, one of my patients was actually a former teacher of mine mm-hmm. and she talked about, you know, her breast cancer diagnosis and mm-hmm. kind of going through that process. But it is very interesting that patients really do like being a part of this process. Like it's not something that most patients shy from, which was always a scary thing because I thought like, oh my God, the patients don't want nothing to do with like get, get them out. Like, but you get more and more. And I guess, well, I don't know with social media, I'm not sure what it is, but more and more people who actually kind of want to do it and want to be a part of it. They want to be able to say like, hey, that's my knee right there. Like it's, yeah. so. <laughs> 
it is. And, you know, I really had to make a big leap, though, and get out of my comfort zone because I didn't know how it was going to go. You know, I didn't know where, you know, how patients were going to react, how my colleagues were going to react, how mm-hmm. just the whole social media universe, you know, people will say all kinds of stuff. So I all was really nervous. And then, you know, it took a couple of months for me to kind of get my groove and say, okay, people are digging this. It's, it's a, I'm actually providing a, a service for folks and, and it's kind of, it's going to grow from there. So the thing, this is, this is my most important, this is the part I love about uh, this podcast, right? That I'm able to bring guests and, and I, I have kind of two hats, right? Like I have the, obviously the physician hat, I do this medical thing, I, I do it well, right? Right. And then I have uh, the, the entrepreneur hat that loves to see physicians really step outside themselves and like, and really kind of say like, Hey, like I'm more than just a physician. Right. Um, shout out to Dr. Nee Darko, Docs Outside the Box. Right. Like, so, uh, and actually that's a podcast you probably should be on. Let's talk about Dr. Hammond, the entrepreneur. Right. Cause I, cause I, like I said, I'm very interested. Right. Like, especially when I see a physician who was able to kind of stand within their laurels, within their profession, but then say like, you know what? I want to do more. And a lot of times I get a lot of physicians who want to do more outside of of medicine, but you actually are doing more still within it, right? Yeah, and yeah. and I, I think that's even even more like, oh wow, nice. Um, so let's let's talk about like air support first, right? Let's talk about air support, and then we're going to talk about your patent intervention, which is crazy to me that you actually have uh, an invention that you were able to patent because yes. I just again, it's just crazy because again, as a physician going to medical school, this isn't something we're taught. Unfortunately, yeah, I wish it was. Yeah, like I wish I wish that someone said like, hey, no, take this business side of courses so you can you know do 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 do. But like you got an invention that's patent. So I will. So we're going to talk about that. Let's, let's talk about air support first. And then we'll kind of lean in into, into the invention you got. Yeah. So air support is a, uh, is a company that I started to kind of help it's in, within orthopedics. It is a company that will, I produce orthopedic braces and I've started off with the posture corrector. I launched a lumbar support brace with a, with a hot cold pack and I've got a shoulder brace and a hip brace coming up. It was, I really created it because I had developed another product that I'm still in the, in the developing development process for for a bunion pain. Back maybe about three years ago, I was learning how to ski and I was getting really into to skiing. And with with skiing, you've got to wear these ski boots that are very, I would say, tight because they have to be, you can't have your foot kind of sloshing around in yeah. the, your, your skis have to move with your body and your leg and also me as one. And my boots were a little too tight and I developed a bunion on, on the inner part of my foot, right? the base of my big toe and it was it was extremely painful i never had anything like that and that was it was painful to have to to wear shoes because any, any pressure against my foot was you know would hurt and i was training for a half marathon at that time and i couldn't even run so i developed a product that would push the shoe away from the tender area on my foot so i would be able to walk and it, and it worked really well and i decided okay i want to be able to figure out how can i develop this and distribute it myself i didn't know anything about marketing or I didn't have any distribution channels or anything like that. And, you know, as this was during the same time I was trying to invent my other product. And, but I decided that I, I didn't want to license this one out. I wanted to kind of do it myself. So uh, that's why Air Support was born because I needed to develop a, a model for me to, to launch products and, a, and have a distribution channel. And I decided to go with Amazon. And so learning how to uh, find the products that I would like to sell, finding a manufacturer in another country halfway around, around the world in China uh, <laughs> and going through developing it to my specifications and then having them, the you know, 
know, manufacture it and then getting it shipped to the U.S. And that's a whole other story now for the tariffs that your president. Uh, I, I was going to say, I was like, Ooh, I wonder what the tariffs doing too. Yep, yeah, that's going to be another factor. And then we have getting it to the States and then getting it to Amazon and then getting into all the different customers and then advertising and all that stuff. So I, you know, this is, this. but to back up a little bit, I really wanted to start something where I wasn't dependent on working to make money. Yes. I wasn't depending on actually having to physically be somewhere to make a dime because you, you, you're limited. You're, you have a ceiling. You can only work so many hours a day. Yep. You have two hands and two feet and one mouth, depending on what your, your, your industry is. <laughs> there's, and there's so much, there's only so much you can do during the day. And that is your cap. Uh, you can hire employees and other things, but then, but you're limited based on the number of employees. But, you know, so there's a difference between being an employee yourself, being self-employed, which is you've got the luxury of just owning your own job and you can do what you want, but you still are limited in the amount of hours that you can work. And there's a great book by uh, Robert Kiyosaki called Cashflow Quadrants that I love. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, it's awesome. I love that, that. When you, I'm going from that E to S to the yes. B. Oh. Yes. So going to that side, when you become a business owner or an investor, then that opens your door and that, there's no limit on the amount of income that you can create. But it's not that simple because we're not taught this anywhere. You know, nope. We're not taught it in schools. And that's, that's Robert Kiyosaki's mission to teach people how to do this kind of thing. So I was trying to create ways to be able to invest in uh, start businesses that would work for me that I wouldn't have to work in myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, going through a lot of trial and error for a lot of different types of things, I just said, I decided, look, I'm wanted to to do what I know best. What do I know? Okay, I know orthopedics. <laughs> so let me go within that niche because we we know I've done other things. We started a restaurant. We've done some real estate. We you know written a I just written a, a wrote a book recently and uh, you know done a lot of different things. But uh, so I wanted to work in my orthopedic field, and that's kind of really how that was born my inventing started to come about and how air support was born love it and so so let's let's talk about the adventure right because again i was a uh in uh lunch and learning community all of the links to air support the video to the, his invention will all be in the show notes so you'll definitely get a chance to look and of course his especially his instagram right if you got to choose one thing to follow right follow, you follow his instagram so you can see the video i'm not sure are the videos on facebook too i know i just follow you on instagram so i don't know if yeah, I, uh, I post the same thing on facebook they, okay you know, it's just harder to scroll on Facebook. It's just much yes. easier on Instagram. Much interesting. So, you know, if you got to choose one, follow the Instagram. Instagram's, like I said, it's a, it's a great site to see. So let's talk about this invention, right? Because, again, I'm, I'm always, like, enamored. I'm like, wow, you got an invention. Like, that's crazy. That's just crazy to me to, yeah. to, to, to take it to that level. But I, I can see you, if you're already in that mindset where you're, you're trying to get to the point where you don't – and this probably hits home – harder for a surgeon where you know your bread and butter is with your hands doing a procedure doing the work but again you can only do a procedure on one person at a time right, right. like so that's that so regardless of how much you get paid to do that right. you can only do it at, at four o'clock you can only do it on one person like that right. you can't do it on 10 people at the same time right but when you expand yourself and you get these businesses and you get this, then you're able to kind of serve so many people all at the same time and not take your time away, which I think is the biggest commodity as a physician that we don't realize we have that we give away, right. uh, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, so, you know, being an inventor, it, it was, I was, I was, I felt like I was on an island because I never knew anybody who <laughs> invented anything or people who say they invented stuff, but you know, not really, you know, oh, I thought about that. Oh yeah, I should have done that. You know, somebody stole that idea from me. <laughs> you know, 
people say all kinds of stuff, right? But nobody's really inventing anything <laughs> that, that I knew of. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I had to kind of kind of walk through the weeds myself and just kind of swimming through mud trying to figure out where do I even start? And I always have an eye, you know, whenever I look at something, I was like, how can I make this better? Or, or this got to be a better way to do something, to do this. Mm-hmm. And then I, so I started taking it a little, little bit more seriously. And then I said, okay, if I see something and I want to see how I make it better, then I would Google it and say, okay, is this thing already out there? And then the vast majority of time, somebody has already done it. Somebody's already figured it out or how to make this better or kind of come up with the idea or something like that. And so I started doing it in surgery as well. What is it that I can do to make to make this procedure better or just get some technical pearls? And I started working on the actual procedure and making the procedure easier for me to do. Those weren't anything that I was inventing. I was just inventing uh, slick ways to do a, the knee replacement, How you know, like a little trick here, a little trick there. And then um, for shoulder arthroscopy in particular there we are working through these little small poke holes in the skin and what happens is we got to get these little thin instruments through the skin and the muscle into the joint and in order to do that we've got to make a little conduit to be able to get the instrument in and out easily so it doesn't get snagged Uh on the tissue and so these conduits are called cannulas and the vast majority of these cannulas are hard plastic and a lot of them are clear plastic so it's kind of like taking a a paper towel to the roll inside of paper towel or or toilet paper it's like similar to that or like a straw even on a a smaller scale and you and so it pushes the tissue away and you can go in and out of the cylinder and easily without getting a snag on tissue there's a company that made a soft one of these made out of silicone and there's some benefits to the soft one because when you have your instrument in the tissue in the through the cannula in the joint you can move the instrument around a lot easier because it's not restricted by the hard cannula the problem with trying to put this soft cannula into this this portal is that it's you got to jam it in there you got to clamp kind of like uh you just you, you clamp it on and then you jam it into the joint and that yeah. was very frustrating because the clamp it would dislodge from the clamp it could slip off it would just not go where you want it to go right because the technical the technical aspects of that doesn't seem as as fluid that it should no it was not and a lot of surgeons said i'm not even going to use this cannula because i can't even it's hard to get in and i'll just stick with the with the original ones because the original ones are fairly easy you just kind of kind of shove it in and then it's in there but the, the flimsy ones are are not so that was uh, it was very frustrating for me, and I was talking to some other surgeons, and like, yeah, they, they also had the same issue with it. And so I decided I was going to talk to the company and see if we can come up with an idea to be able to get this cannula in there a little bit better. So I went and talked with the company, and they were they were you know kind of lukewarm because they get hundreds of doctors talking to them about inventions all the time. It's just <laughs> so they're like, okay, what do you got? And the, yeah, you know, the yeah. vast majority of people don't have anything real that they can. That they can uh, <laughs> They can work with, and so they said, "Okay, we can." We, I like the concept, and then so they decided to, you know, start do a little prototype. And the prototype that they came up with didn't work. It kind of tore. It, it, the silicone was pretty soft, and then when they were inserting it, it, it would tear the silicone. So they abandoned it and said, "Like, no, we're not going to follow up with this. You're going to do it on your own." And so I had to come up with the uh, a design, and then figure out how to get it to work. And you know, what I, I came up with was, a, you know, a way. So if you take a string, it's hard to push a string but you can and get it to go anywhere because it'll fold up mm-hmm. but if you so if you push the back end of the string it folds up but if you take the front end of the string and you pull it then it can it can go wherever you want it to go so what i did was if you take like a, a paper clip and you kind of put a little bit of the string in the end of the paper clip then you can pull the string where you want it to go and 
And if you have it, and so if you can imagine that paperclip with the string in it going into tissue, the string just folds and it will, uh, and then you can pull it into the joint. Well, there's something similar to what I, to what I developed. I had uh, a little stick device with an oval cutout similar to a paperclip, and you just put the cannula inside of that oval cutout, and then you just kind of pull it into the joint, and it worked. And it was, uh, it really was, you know, it, it was something that I wasn't expecting it to, to work so well, actually. <laughs> It, uh, you had like any doubts at first? Dude. Yeah. Like, so at first I, or, or I had a, uh, like a sliding device that would pinch it in place. And whenever I pinched it in place and I put it into the joint, it would tear every time. So mm-hmm. I just got rid of the sliding device that would pinch it in place and just left the hole open and just kind of had it sit in the hole. And then it just went in and it would pop free and I slide the stick out. And every time, every time it would work. And I, so I took it back to Arthrex and they, Arthrex is the company that I was, that I decided to, you know, work with. And they said, oh, this is really nice. Let me just, let's take it to some of our, the surgeons of have them come and evaluate it. And the overwhelming majority of the surgeons really liked it. It was a big difference you know, compared to the previous. Nice. Um, and then they decided, okay, so then they decided to, before I really worked with them though, I, work, I put in a provisional patent so I could have some protection. And then I um, decided, oh, yeah, yeah patent, then, then I, then the patent, in the office actually granted me the patent because it was a unique and novel and and then the Arthrex decided to license the product from me and so with licensing you know every time a product is sold get a royalty from that and so and that you know Arthrex is a uh, worldwide company and so oh, I love it so it's starting to it's starting to grow I just we just um, got the first products out in September and every every quarter I see that it's in, in growing and growing it's and right. increasing you now, know, are you having to do any promotion with it or is like is that is the company essentially kind of like manning that yeah so the beauty of licensing is uh the company takes care of everything you just sit back and you know you don't have to really do much at all you know i can talk about the the invention i can let other people know about it but they're doing most of the the marketing and, and promoting that now there's there's pluses and minuses to that because they have full control you know you, you get you get paid less, you know, right. because they got full control. Right. Like, that's with any royalty agreement. They pretty much, you give them the rights to pretty much own the product. Even though you, you know, I do own the patent and everything, you give them the rights to promote and do everything else, you know. So that's that's the pluses and minuses of doing something on your own versus licensing it. But this isn't this isn't a product that I would be able to promote on my own anyway because right. it's it's directly the niche that it's in that you would need someone like within that that circle to be able to kind of yes do the legwork. Ah, I love it. I absolutely love it. Like I said, that's that's the level of ingenuity I love to see out of our physicians and and I hope someone listens to this, especially you know our physician colleagues, and they say, wow, you know what, like, you know what. Let me, let me get off my butt, right? Because I've been talking about that same, like, I should have did this, I should have did that. Yeah, yeah. And, and and how long was this process, right? Just to give people an idea. Was this like a year, yeah. two years, uh, a year? Yeah. So I first started talking to Arthrex in, uh, in 2000. Well, I first started the idea in 2015. And I went to them in, uh, so that was like around January, February 2015. And I went to them in April of 2015. And, where, and they decided to do a product. And then they decided, and it wouldn't, didn't work for them. So they abandoned it. And then I figured it out. And then in like early 2016, I went back to them with the with the product. And then they said, okay, we're going to license it. So we signed a contract in September of 2016. And the product didn't get launched until September of 2018. So it, it was a three-year process. But, you know, the time was going to go regardless. Exactly. Oh, thank you. 
Yeah, Same. whether I was going to work on it or not, it was still going to be 2018. Yep. And I would have been looking back like, man, I should have did that. I should have did that that in 2016. I should have started. And right. I didn't start. Now it's 2018, and I'm still talking about starting. I love it. <laughs> exactly. But it, but it's not an easy process. It takes time. And, you know, vast, you know, out of hundreds of thoughts and then ideas, maybe five will be worth pursuing. And then out of those five, maybe 0.5 will be will actually, you know, pan out. But it is a, it is worth it. And, you know, and it's, it's something that you get some uh, level of satisfaction as well when you, when you accomplish something that a lot of people haven't done. Wow. So again, first of all, thank you, right, for, you know, kind of serving as that lead. Because again, I, I really do feel that you're probably going to motivate some physician, some medical student, some pre-med, not only to go to orthopedics or just to go to medicine in general, just because they're, they're seeing amazing things you're doing, but then say like, oh, I can do a step further, right? So again, I appreciate you serving as the pioneer and, and, and you know, putting your foot out there and say like, I'm ready to go and put some work in. So definitely thank you for that. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you. So, so of course, before, you know, obviously before I, I know I kept you long here. So before I let you go, right, is there anything like, cause this is the, this is like, I call this the promo hour for my guests. Right. Like, is there anything like you kind of allude to the book? I know you have an illustration book, but like you kind of allude to the book. You kind of allude to some. What are the things you have out there that people may be able to consume? And, you know, obviously, uh, most important thing is where can they get this stuff? Because that's obviously going to be in the show notes. But let the folks know where can they find some of this stuff to be able to kind of look, look up and see how you're doing? Yeah. So uh, I have written a book on stem cell use for joint pain. So for people who want to know what that is all about and trying to do conservative treatments instead of going after a knee placement and they want to know what stem cells are and, and what they're not, then you can find that in the in the book. And so, so you can go to my uh, author page. It's amazon.com backslash author backslash Dr. Jason Hammond. Or you can just go to amazon.com and search for Dr. Jason Hammond. And the book is called The Good Book. And it's G-U-U-D, The Good Book on Stem Cells for Joint Pain. And if you're interested in some uh, lumbar support braces, hot and cold gel packs or posture correctors, you can go to airsupport.com. And that's A-I-R-E-S-U-P-P-O-R-T. There's a 20% discount promo code on that as well. Just, you know, like you said, follow me on uh, Instagram or Facebook. You just go to Dr. Jason Hammond to search for that and you'll you'll find me there. Love it. So always ask my guests this question. How can what you do help empower really others to really take better care of their physical joint, bone health, all of that? Yeah. So, you know, I think that decreasing your stress in their in your life is huge and for, for mental health and for physical health. And I think a major stressor is your financial health. If you can get your financial health together and not be in significant debt, try to start a business, you have alternate forms of income that will, if you, if you can be debt free, that will take so much stress out of your, out of your life and out of your person, out of your marriage, out of your, with your kids, all kinds of stuff. So, so just try to find a niche that you're interested in and then get rid of that stress in your life from, from money. Money should not be a stressor. It should be an avenue for you to be able to help others. You know, I think also just stay active. You know, that's what I try to help other people to do. Stay physically active, but go when you, when you start running, Running or you start getting in the gym, or whatever, go slow. Start with low. <laughs> go then, slow. Don't, don't. <laughs> exactly right. And then gradually build up. And so, you know, you want to have 
emotional health, you want to have financial health, you want to be physically healthy, and you're going to uh, really be able to impact your family, your community, your your future, if you can do all those things. Perfect. And uh, of course, my, my family would kill me, right? If I didn't if I didn't get you to you know talk about this. Of course, we're actually recording this the day after game five of the <laughs> NBA finals, right? And, I, and it's so funny because I was like, oh, you know what? I'm actually talking to a sports medicine specialist like tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So the conspiracy theory that's running around my house now Right, is that Kevin Durant always had an Achilles injury and he just like re injured it, right? Like they pushed him out. I feel like he had a calf injury at first and then he got the Achilles injury, right? Like, right. you, you're you, obviously this is you, right? This is your field, this is your ballpark, right? Like, right. like, and again, I'm not sure if you watch basketball, but like, what? Like, so I didn't see the, uh, you know, I saw the injury in the replay. I wasn't watching it when it when it first first happened. But it's hard to tell from a replay where what he was limping and stuff like that. When he had, the most common calf strain that you get is a is a calf strain and the actual muscle belly, just just below the muscle belly where you know where that uh, the the lump on your your calf muscle is right in the uh, the mid calf. That's the most common place where you can get a calf strain, and that usually will heal on its own with just you no rest but usually it take up to four weeks or so mm-hmm. it a while for that to heal up and you know i don't know exactly where he re-injured it, but they said achilles that is further that's further down you know near the heel bone or at that cord right up right behind your ankle mm-hmm. and, and so that is a more that is a significantly more severe injury than a calf sprain that is higher up. They could have been trying to say that it was not as bad as it was, but if they, if he, I think that he probably had more of a of a strain right at the tendon uh, muscle junction before. It's hard to know if this is something. If if he needs surgery for this, this is this is not. This is not good. And I think you probably re, he probably, I want to think, I would think he re-injured the same thing. This is probably, probably worse. Mm. It's, it's probably, it would be really unfortunate to have a completely separate injury right on, in the same leg. In right. Two spots. <laughs> you know, that is highly, it's probably something that's made the, the initial injury worse, but um, okay. it's, it's significantly un- unfortunate. You know, obviously I don't have the MRI or records of what happened to him, but uh, if he had a separate ca- uh, Achilles injury, that would be, that, you know, that would be devastating for him. Right. And, and I think that's where conspiracy theorists were going because they're like, well, he always had the ice closer to his, the bottom of the foot and not really near the, the, the meat of his, the, you know, the calf, but like, not really there. So they, they always assumed it was Achilles. And then they push him out too far. This is what's going on yeah. uh, on the, the the social media sphere yeah, <laughs> as we no, speak. <laughs> it is, it's, it's, it's significant, and they, I think he may have been pushed too soon because it can take a while for this calf injury to get better for sure. I love it. I love it. Yeah, for, yeah. I, I had I knew I had to ask that question because I knew they were gonna be like, "What are you? Why did you ask him yet already?" <laughs> Yeah, oh, I understand. No, this is this, this is a big. You know, he's somebody. Somebody think he's the best in the world. So yes, you know, this is this is a big hit for him, especially during his uh, new uh, you know contract year. Contract year coming up. All right. So again, thank you, Don Hammond, for uh, coming out and really just enlightening and encouraging and empowering the lunchroom community with you know giving themselves together, physical health, the bone health, the joint health, and then really kicking up the entrepreneurial spirit here as well, and letting us know that there's definitely more you can do within all of the great stuff that you're doing. It's me. Well, appreciate it, Dr. Barry. Thanks for having me. Anything you need, just, you know, I'm here for you. Anything you want to learn community needs from me, they can reach out to me. They can direct message me or reach out to me through you. I'm here for them. Perfect.
perfect perfect again ladies and gentlemen we will see you guys next week again remember subscribe tell a friend tell a friend and please follow out the hammer like i said you like especially if you're not grossed out if you're grossed out by me obviously don't do and then blame me uh, for it right but if, if you're not which I, most of the people i follow aren't definitely worth the follow for sure Thank you for getting to the end of the show. I am your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, host of The Lunch Learner, Dr. Barry. And this is another amazing episode that we like to bring to you week after week on betterment of empowering yourself for better health today. If you have not had a chance, please go ahead and subscribe to the show if this is your first time listening. If you already listen and you've already subscribed, make sure to leave me a five-star review because your support is absolutely important in keeping the show moving as it is and if you have not had a chance and you want to check out today's show notes always head over to lunchlearnpod.com that is lunchlearnpod all in one word dot com and you can get the access to my show notes for every single episode but especially the one you just listened to and i'm gonna see you guys next week you guys be blessed bye